Chapter 3 of The Life of Philip Melanchthon. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Steve Mayer. The Life of Philip Melanchthon by Carl Friedrich Lederhose. Translated by Gottlob Frederick Kotel. His debut in Wittenberg, and the Leipzig Disputation. Four days after his arrival, the twenty-two years old professor delivered the introductory to his lectures. The lecture room was entirely filled. His exterior did not promise much. A small, insignificant form, with a timid gait, entered the desk, but the lofty brow and his large blue eyes indicated the mighty mind which tabernacled in this unseemly and frail vessel. But when he commenced his Latin address, which treated of the improvement of studies, unfolding the deepest thoughts in the most chaste language, and resting so entirely upon the word of God, all were filled with joy. Luther, who was also present, was full of enthusiasm for he felt at once how much the university and the good cause of the reformation had gained in the possession of a man so learned and with so deep an insight into truth he therefore full of joy wrote to his beloved friend spalatin as early as august thirty first philip delivered a very learned and chaste address on the fourth day after his arrival and that too with such applause and admiration on every side that you need not trouble yourself further in commending him to us. We must look away from his exterior appearance. We rejoice in his gifts, at the same time that we are amazed at them, and we heartily thank our gracious prince, as well as your own assistance. It is now especially important that you recommend him most earnestly to our prince. I by no means desire a different teacher of Greek, as long as he remains with us. There is but one thing, I fear, namely, that his delicate constitution will not be able to endure the manner of life in this region. I also learn that he has been called with too small a salary, so that the Leipzigers already boast and hope that they shall soon be able to draw him away from us, for they already courted him before he came to us. I, and many others with me, suspect that Dr. Pfeffinger has, according to his usual custom, been endeavouring to save the elector's purse too much in this matter. Therefore, my dear Spalatine, to speak freely, that is, with my best friend, I pray you, look to it that you do not despise his person and age. This man is deserving of all honour, for I do not wish us, and the university, to do so uncourteous a thing, and give envious persons occasion to speak evil of us. Two days after this he again commends him to Spalatine most earnestly, I would most heartily commend to you Philip, the great Grecian, the thorough scholar, and most amiable man. His lecture-room is crowded with hearers. It is owing to him, principally, that all theologians, the first, middle, and lowest class, are studying Greek. And thus Luther also expressed himself towards other friends. But the more they learned to know each other, so much the more also did their mutual esteem and affection increase. When Melanchthon, at a certain time, wrote to his paternal friend Reuchlin, and requested Luther to add a letter also, he complied with great cheerfulness. For Reuchlin was not only one of the first champions against papal darkness, but it was also owing to him that Melanchthon adorned Wittenberg. In his letter he called Melanchthon a wonderful man, 
in whom everything is almost supernatural, and yet he is the friend and confidant of my heart. But Reukland could not comprehend the rapid progress of the Reformation any more than Erasmus, and latterly had become cooler towards Melanchthon, no doubt because he had taken a too zealous and active part in the work of the Reformation of the Church. As Luther's whole heart was soon devoted to Melanchthon, so also did the young professor admire the chosen instrument of God. He soon discovered that a turning point had been reached in the history of the Christian Church, and that Luther, partly because of his humility, and also his power, apostolical faith, was the man chosen by the head of the Church to bring about this blessed revolution. But an opportunity should soon be afforded the ingenious youth to step upon the battlefield of the Reformation himself, and to fight the good fight at Luther's side. The cause of the gospel, proclaimed trumpet-tongued in Wittenberg, had awakened a mighty sympathy. They soon became convinced in Rome that this was not an ordinary dispute among monks, whether the cowls should be peaked or round, and matters like these. Although the frivolous Medicean pope Leo X regarded the matter very lightly in the beginning, its progress soon taught him to take a different view. Writings conceived in the true Roman spirit and dipped in blood were sent forth, but all was unavailing. Despotic commands, such as had been hurled against Luther in Augsburg by the proud Cajetan, were powerless. At first the lion in the Vatican roared, then he fawned. All knew the papal nuncio Miltitz, who could speak sweetly, and if this would not suffice, could even shed tears. An agreement was entered into between him and Luther, who in the beginning still entertained a high esteem for the Pope's supremacy. In Altenburg, in the year 1519, in which he promised silence, provided his opponents would remain silent also. But even in the midst of these negotiations, a zealous Romanist brought about an unexpected outbreak of the fire that slumbered beneath the ashes. This was the well-known Dr. John Eck, Chancellor of the University of Ingolstadt, a man ever inclined to noise and disputes. He had already attacked Professor Andrew Karlstadt in Wittenberg in the year 1516. At a later period he challenged him to a public discussion, although he had his eye fixed upon Luther more than him. As the choice of the place and the time of the discussion were left to Dr. Eck, he fixed upon Leipzig. It was to be opened on the 27th of June, 1519. Eck arrived in Leipzig betimes, where he was delighted at being seen and admired. On the 24th of June the Wittenbergers also arrived. Many other learned men and students were present, besides the two champions, Karlstadt and Luther. Philip Melanchthon rode at Luther's side in a carriage. A crowd of persons, abbots, counts, knights, the learned and unlearned, such as Leipzig had not seen for a long time, were gathered together. It does not belong to our purpose to describe at length the history of the discussion at Leipzig. It occupied three weeks. First of all, Eck disputed with Karlstadt about free will, then with Luther about the Pope's supremacy, purgatory, indulgences, penance, absolution, and satisfaction. The contest often became very hot. Even if Karlstadt did not defend his good cause with the greatest skill, Eck found his match in Luther, who placed himself in the citadel of the word of God, and went forth unconquered from the battle. However, Melanchthon did not merely sit by as an idle hearer. It is said that he now and then mingled in the contest, and supported his two friends with a few observations. Upon this, Eck addressed him in a harsh tone, 
Be silent, Philip. Mind your own business, and do not disturb me. Melanchthon, who had inwardly taken a lively interest in the discussion, left Leipzig, together with his Wittenberg friends, richly blessed and strengthened for his whole life. But he was now to enter into dispute with Eck himself, for he had written a letter to his beloved friend Echolampadius, who regarded the bold stand of Luther and his friends with approbation, in which he related the events of the disputation and exposed several weak points in Eck's arguments. But although he did this, he praised Eck's excellent natural gifts. Of course, it can be easily seen where Melanchthon's heart was. He thus spoke of Luther in this letter, I must admire the clear head, learning, and eloquence, and heartily love the sincere and truly Christian heart of Luther, whom I have known intimately for a long time. This letter was printed and was seen by Eck, who felt himself so much aggrieved by it that he printed a very rude reply as early as the 25th of July in Leipzig. He treats the teacher of languages, Philippus, who understands Greek and Latin so well, in a most contemptuous manner, as if he had assumed the right of pronouncing judgment in a matter which he did not understand, and endeavors to refute Melanchthon's letter by sixteen brief remarks. At one time he calls him the bold little man, then again the Wittenbergian teacher of languages, who fared like the shoemaker who wanted to know more than his last, and then again the literalist, and the language man. Once he addresses him in the words, Thou dusty schoolmaster. The whole letter is conceived in this spirit. But he was mistaken in Melanchthon. In the month of August he sent forth from the celebrated Saxon city Wittenberg a defense against John Eck, in which he does not use similar language. He declares in this that he has been driven to this more by a holy anxiety and zeal for the holy scriptures than by any enmity. He declares in the most decided manner that it is ungodly to wrest the scriptures according to human will and inclinations. He now refutes Eck's principal objections in the clearest manner, and advises him to suffer the cause to strive rather than abusive language. We owe this, he says, to love, which as truly as I hope to have a merciful God, I from my heart do not wish to grieve or offend. Luther was much displeased with Eck's conduct, he expresses this in a letter to Spalatin, dated August 15th. I again come to speak of Philip, whom no Eck can bring me to hate, and whose testimony in my favor I always esteem higher than anything else. The judgment and opinion of this single man is of more value to me than that of many thousand worthless Ecks, and I would not be ashamed, although I am a master of arts, of philosophy, and theology, and am adorned almost with all the titles of Eck, to leave my own opinion, if this grammarian could not agree with it. I have often done this, and do it still, because of the divine gift which God has deposited in this frail vessel, although it seems contemptible to Eck, with a bountiful blessing. Philip I do not praise. He is a creature of God, and nothing. But Eck did not consider it advisable to contend further with the champions of Wittenberg, who were also supported by other worthy men. He was silent, and as he perhaps thought that other weapons were needful in such a case, perhaps like those employed against Huss and Jerome a hundred years before, he journeyed to Rome and sought shelter beneath the thunders of excommunication from the papal chair. End of chapter 3